The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the March 22nd, 2023 meeting of the, uh, uh, for the Budget and Appropriation Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I am joined by Supervisors Hillary Ronan and Shaman Walton. Our clerk is Brent Halipa. I would like to thank uh, Matthew Eno uh, from SFGovTV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Yes, Madam Chair. Uh, just a friendly reminder for those in attendance to uh, um, please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices and also kindly refrain from any flash photography. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First public comment will be taken um, on this hearing on this agenda. Uh, those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channels 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. That number is 415-655-0001. Again, that's 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2498-202-4187. Then pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up, and those on the telephone should dial star three to also be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using, and each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Appropriations Committee Clerk, at b-r-e-n-t dot j-a-l-i-p-a at s-f-g-o-v dot o-r-g. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. They may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And Madam Chair, that concludes my announcements. Thank you so much, Mr. Clerk. I want to acknowledge that uh, this is not our typical budget and appropriation committee time, and we're here at 4 p.m. and uh, to so that we can actually welcome for this uh, special item on the agenda, which with with our San Francisco Youth Commission, and just really want to thank. Uh, just all the commissioners for your service, not just for this report, but really for all your service. Uh, and thank you so much. I think this is a very critical time to have your voice. Uh, and I want to acknowledge Vice Chair Mandelman, uh, who's just joining us now. And I think we will be shortly joined by Supervisor Asa, Asha Safai. And so with that, I'm going to actually introduce the chair of the Youth Commission, uh, Chair Emily Wynn, and she will actually uh, introduce rest of the um rest of the commissioners but before we start i just want to also acknowledge uh supervisor mm -hmm. hillary ronan and uh for her remarks thank you thank you i um just wanted to say briefly our office didn't get the memo about the change of time so i have to leave at around 4:40 today hopefully i will get the bulk of this but i wanted to apologize in advance and just tell you how excited i am about today and um you know we'll watch anything i miss but hopefully it will get through most of it thank you thank you actually uh apologies madam chair i should call the item 
Oh, my apologies. Yes, <laughs> please call item number one. Uh, I was yes. like trying in a hurry. To, I just, we want to get through this uh, to the presentation. So thank you, Mr. Clerk. Please call item number one. Of course, item number one is a hearing to identify the Youth Commission's budget priorities for fiscal years 2023 to 2024 and 2024 to 2025. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment should call 415-655-0001. Today's meeting ID is 2498-202-48. Sorry, for 187, and then press pound twice. And if you already do haven't done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A prompt will indicate that you raised your hand. And when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will, um, as your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, um, Mr. Clerk. And uh, here we have Chair Wynn. Thank you. Testing, testing. Hello, supervisors. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, my name is Emily Wynn. I'm the District 11 appointee on the San Francisco Youth Commission, and I also serve as the chair. I use she, her pronouns, and I sit on the Housing, Recreation, and Transit Committee. Um, so I'm going to start off with introductions of each commissioner we have here with us today. Um, this doesn't represent the full commission, but these are the commissioners who either chair their committees or really wanted to be involved with the presentation. So we have um, Commissioner Hayden Miller, chair of the Housing, Recreation, and Transit Committee, and representing District 5. We have Commissioner Chloe Wong representing District 1 on the Housing, Recreation, and Transit Committee. We have Vice Chair Barker Plummer um, representing mayoral appointee, um, and he sits on the Civic Engagement and Education Task Force. We have uh, Commissioner Astrid Utting sitting on the Civic Engagement and Education Task Committee um, and representing District 8. We have commissioner, or we have Oz Rafer, who is actually not a commissioner. Um, they sit on the LGBTQ plus task force, um, so we're very thankful for their time today. Um, we have Commissioner Gabby Listana, who uh, represents District Six and sits on the Civic Engage, Civic Engage, or Transformative Justice Committee. Sorry, it's a mouthful to introduce every single person. Um, <laughs> We have Commissioner Stephen Hum, who sits on the Civic Engagement and Education Committee, um, representing Mayoral. We have Commissioner Yoslin Colleen, um, representing District 9, sitting on the Transformative Justice Committee. And we have Commissioner Raven Shaw, who is a mayoral appointee, um, sitting on the Transformative Justice Committee. So we're all really excited to be here with you guys today. Um, so thank you for making the adjustments and um, taking your time with us. And so uh, just to start, we're here to present our Youth Commission annual budget and policy priorities. So a little bit more about the Youth Commission. The Youth Commission is basically uh, the voice of youth in City Hall. We got, our we got our authority through the San Francisco City Charter in 1995 um, through an amendment, and we're made up of 17 brilliant young people who advise the mayor and the board of supervisors on issues related to youth. A little bit more about the committees that I touched on earlier. Firstly, we have exec, um, which basically runs the basic functions of the Youth Commission. We have HRT, the Housing, Recreation, and Transit Committee, that focuses on issues such as equitable transportation for all youth um, and access to recreational spaces. Historically, we've worked a lot on um, free muni for all youth. We have CEEC, the Civic Engagement and Education Committee which focuses on issues such as youth engagement in schools um, and youth representation. Historically, we've worked on Vote 16. And uh, lastly, we have TJ, the Transformative Justice Committee, which works on issues such as prison reform um, and rehabilitative programs for youth. Historically, we've, we've worked on closing down um, 850 Bryant and also Juvenile Hall. 
Um, and recently this year, we added a new task force um, called the LGBTQ plus task force that works on issues such as uh, LGBTQ plus youth representation in schools. Um, and then I'd like to introduce Vice Chair Barker Plummer to talk a little bit more about our budget and policy priorities process. Yes, thank you, supervisors. Um, so as you all know, every year the city goes through our budget process for the next two fiscal years. So how the city and county spends its funds um, is the biggest way it has an impact on young people in San Francisco. So it is essential that young people and youth have a voice in this process, and that is our role as the Youth Commission. To do this every year around the time that the mayor proposes her budget, um, the Youth Commission creates and publishes a budget and policy priorities report, or we'll often refer to it as BPPs, um, for the next two fiscal years. I think each of you have um, had that shared with you ahead of time as well. Uh, we draft and organize these BPPs by our issue-based committees, which you just heard about, and then these draft uh, budget and policy priorities go to the full commission to be discussed and debated and finalized and eventually presented to you all and Mayor Breed. Um, we passed the final version of our budget and policy priority report on March 6th, um, and we're now beginning with this hearing to do our advocacy on the budget and policy needs that the Youth Commission identified into, this next, into these next two fiscal years. Thank you, Vice Chair Barker Plummer. And then I'm going to bring up Commissioner Miller to talk a little bit more about the HRT committee. Hello, good afternoon, supervisors. Again, uh, my name is Hayden Miller. I'm the chair of our Housing, Recreation, and Transit Committee, and I'm also the representative for District 5. Um, really excited to present our BPPs today. You know, this year the committee has continued our work advocating for free mini for all youth, um, which we really are gracious to the supervisors and the mayor for. Um, and the SFMTA for helping implement that program. We've also worked on issues related to youth housing and homelessness, as well as access to our city's lovely parks and open spaces, um, which have really you know, shined throughout the pandemic. Um, so our, one of our first um, budget and policy um, items that I'm presenting today is uh, making transportation services accessible and reliable for youth. Um, you know, youth overwhelmingly rely on Muni to get to school. About 60% of SFUSD high schoolers um, take Muni to get to school every day. And they really depend on these lines to be, you know, on time, not overcrowded, and to have those lines running. So, you know, currently um, the SFMTA has restored many of the lines after the pandemic, but several lines such as the 10 Townsend, the 47 Van Ness, 28R, 19th Avenue, and many others still remain suspended. And some of these lines disproportionately served young people. For example, the 28R line um, served approximately 40% of youth riders as opposed to 20% system-wide. So it's about double, and these critical lines are still suspended. Another issue we continue to see with um, transit services is that the buses, when school gets out, are completely packed. Um, the students can't get on because there's so many flooding the system at once. And while the SFMTA has initiatives such as the School Tripper program, which starts empty buses after school, there's not enough of these School Tripper buses to reach every, um, every school in the district. 
and the way that they're distributed is kind of, um, it hasn't been changed in many years. So some schools receive two or three school trippers, while others receive none at all. Um, lastly, um, something we've been working on to continue the success of the um, Free Muni for All Youth program is um, at least um, looking to explore expanding um, discounts for San Francisco young people to ride um, Bay Area Rapid Transit BART services because you know, obviously San Francisco is just, um, just a piece of the um, bigger region and you know, people do rely on uh, BART service to get around the city. Um, so we're also looking into discounts and making those discounts more accessible. So our specific um, recommendations here, we're really um, urging you um, to look for ways to um, restore 100% of Muni service. Um, we're looking for, to uh, provide additional funding, especially for operation. Um, as you guys uh, probably know, as you serve on the CTA, there's, there's definitely um, at least some money out there for capital, but something the MTA really struggles with is getting those operations dollars. So. Um, really looking into that and you know um, it could come from the local level but also your advocacy on the state and federal level is really critical on this. Um, we are also urging the SFMTA to expand the school tripper program and making sure that those school trippers are equitably distributed throughout all the schools in the city so that it's not one school receiving three buses while kids at another school are being passed up and left at the curb. Thank you, Commissioner Miller. <clears throat> so our next BPP is expanding access to youth recreational spaces. We've looked at a variety of topics, but first of that being car-free spaces. So in 2021, the Youth Commission supported car-free JFK. And then as you all know, in the November 2022 election, car-free JFK recently became permanent. Um, since then, there's been 36% more daily trips of walking, biking, rolling, and trolling on JFK. However, um, I'm a District 11 resident, um, and I live in the southeast, southern, southeast part of San Francisco. Um, I rely on the 44 frequently, and I think um, the 44 has a lot of transit delays, especially coming into Golden Gate Park. Um, but since car-free JFK has become permanent, and it's become such a beautiful space for youth, we really need to invest in transit lines all throughout the city um, in order to ensure that youth in all, all parts of the city have access to this beautiful space. Um, so our recommendation is to direct agencies to develop a plan um, in order to reduce the public transit delays on 9th, um, specifically for the 44 line. Our second recommendation is to um, Seeing the success of car-free JFK, we want the Board of Supervisors to provide funding and to direct other agencies to complete a study on potentially making other streets um, in San Francisco car-free as well. Next, um, in terms of slow streets, the Youth Commission supported the slow streets in 2021 and in 2022. Um, and as you all know, in December 2022, the SFMTA approved the, permanent, the permanency of the slow streets program. Um, we know how valuable these slow streets are to youth in San Francisco, um, and in order for them to be uh, fully implemented, we want the Board of Supervisors to provide funding and support for the SFMTA so that they can put their resources into fully implementing and maintaining this beautiful program. Next, in terms of public parks, um, looking into the parks, as we know, since JFK became car-free, we've seen that Golden Gate Park has received more investment and visitors also because of the museums and the Ferris wheel. Um, however, we know that other city parks, for example, John McLaren Park, tend to underperform as a citywide asset. 
Um, in a study by the San Francisco Recreation and Parks Department, people found that San Francisco visitors and San Francisco residents viewed John McLaren Park as very dangerous and unkept. Um, and we also know that there's been decades of incomplete design ideas and just a lot of deferred maintenance in the park in general. Um, we want to ensure that youth in all areas of the city have access to recreational spaces, so we urge the Board of Supervisors to fund efforts in order to improve and promote large parks all throughout the city, but most especially John McLaren Park. Um, next, we have access to public spaces. So uh, the mix, which is right across from City Hall, um, is a beautiful place. It has historically provided youth with unique opportunities to learn and develop certain skills. However, their only hours of operation are either after 12 p.m. or after 1 p.m. Um, and we know that this space provides a lot of opportunities for youth to engage with themselves and with one another. So we are urging the Board of Supervisors to look into expanding their working hours um, because especially in the summer when youth want to go in, use this space, um, and especially youth who may not have access to these services in their households, we want to ensure that they're given opportunities to do so. Um, so potentially opening the library in the morning. Um, and then Commissioner Miller is going to talk a little bit more about the Marin Headlands. So we talked about this a little bit um, with the, um, uh, with the um, access to Golden Gate Park, but something that we found is really essential is with our lovely open spaces that our city and our region does have is making sure that they're accessible. You know, one third of households in the city do not own a car and um, an SFMTA study found that low income and households of color are significantly less likely to own a car. Um, prior to the pandemic, Muni operated the Route 76X, which was a bus. It was the only public transit service that ran between San Francisco and the Marin Headlands National Park, which is, uh, as part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, one of the most visited national parks in the country. Um, it provided uh, service on the weekends and holidays from San Francisco to the Marin Headlands. Uh, and this route continuing to be suspended means that one third of San Francisco households no longer have access to the Marin Headlands. Uh, we urge you to provide uh, funding and urge the SFMTA to restore um, this 76X uh, service. Um, the cost is very minimal. Obviously, we know that Muni has challenges around bus operators and funding right now. But this route used just three bus operators only on the weekends, so it would not take away from other critical services, such as you know getting students to school on the weekdays. Um, we also encourage the SFMTA to look for grant funding for this, as they previously received a grant from the National Park Service to fund this service. Um, in addition, um, as some of you may be aware of, um, San Francisco um, invests in um, uh, the uh, Camp Mather, our Recreation and Parks Department, which is near the site of the Hetch Hetchy Dam um, that uh, the city maintains. And this is a really wonderful you know, summer camp space um, up uh, near the Yosemite Valley. Uh, but like the Marin Headlands is currently, there's no way for families, the one-third of households in the city that don't have access to a car, to access this space. This is also an issue uh, we found with many of the workers who work at Camp Mather who are you know, young high school and college students uh, who don't have access to their own car. Um, so we're really encouraging that the city look into funding. At least currently there's about um, 10 summer sessions at Camp Mather. At least for a few of these sessions, if there was um, a public transportation option to bring families as well as employees to the park, it would um, greatly benefit um, 
the equity and accessibility of the space. Um, and then Commissioner Wong is going to talk a little bit more about our homelessness BPP. Hi, my name is um, Chloe. Or, I'm, I'm Commissioner Wong, and I represent District 1 on the Youth Commission. Um, this budget and policy priority is focused on supporting youth and transitional aged youth um, that are experiencing homelessness. So federal and local inaction have contributed to a worsening homelessness crisis. I believe that it started with um, the retrenchment of Section 8 during the Reagan administration. Um, Section 8 is part of the Housing Act of 1937, and this focused a lot on public housing. Um, during that time, Mayor Dianne Feinstein was also in office as the mayor of San Francisco, and her, um, she and her office did not believe that it would be, you know, it would... Um, continue on into the future, and they thought it was a temporary side effect of the recession in the 80s. And thus, they did not address the um, homelessness crisis with the urgency necessary to prevent um, further and potential exacerbation. So according to a recent point-in-time count, um, there are 1,073 youth and transitional-aged youth that are experiencing homelessness. Um, this is uh, data from 2022. 84% of those 1,073 youth and transitional aged youth that are experiencing homelessness are um, unsheltered. Um, there's also 38% of that population that identify as LGBTQ+, and 40% are also black, and um, that is a percentage that dwarfs black people's share of the general San Francisco population, um, which is just 6%. As for navigation centers, um, these are places that help uh, place youth into supportive and transitional um, housing sites, and these are crucial to you know, uns uh, assisting unhoused people. So uh, there is a navigation center that currently exists that is solely focused on serving the needs of transitional aged youth, and this one exists on 700 Hyde Street. Um, and uh, the navigation... Oh. Our recommendations are, one, consider opening an additional navigation center, especially one for transitional-aged youth. Uh, this would ideally not be in proximity to 700 Hyde Street, uh, just to ensure that you know, youth in other parts of the city are able to access the services that these navigation centers provide. Um, if it's you know, uh, closer to where the youth are located, it's they are easier, it's easier for them to sort of access the services, and this is why we would uh, recommend to consider opening an additional one. Um, the second one would be to look into hiring more case managers or finding ways to incentivize the, these jobs for case managers. As you know, um, for years, case managers in San Francisco have been very overworked, and it makes it very difficult for them to do their jobs and, you know, uh, create strong relationships with the uh, youth that they are working with. Our third recommendation would be to um, um, allocate additional funding specifically for the purpose of developing um, permanent services on-site at supportive housing and at navigation centers. With this, we would hope to um, you know, mitigate the inefficiency of programs and services being inaccessible due to them being uh, not within proximity to transitional aged youth housing. Um, and yeah, so that is the end of my recommendation. I believe the next is by Commissioner Wynn. Hello again. So uh, the next issue that our committee, <clears throat> sorry, I kind of have a sore throat. 
Um, the next. <laughs> The next issue that our committee looked into was Vision Zero. Um, as we all know, the lack of progress on Vision Zero is extremely evident. Um, traffic deaths have risen greatly since 2018, and just recently in 2022, we ended with 32 deaths, which is tying with the decade high in 2016, which shows that not only that we've made little progress on this issue, we've made no progress on this issue. Um, when looking into this issue, the Youth Commission found that speed is the largest factor to traffic fatalities, and even really minor reductions in speed can improve outcomes. We found that automated speed enforcement um, is really effective in reducing speeding-related fatalities. We also found that um, the SFMTA waters down their quick build, safety, and traffic calming projects, especially for Valencia Street and San Jose Avenue. Um, both corridors are heavily utilized by bikers. Um, a lot, there's been a lot of demonstrations and protests and just um, we've heard from the community that there needs to be progress on these streets. However, we've seen that even in a decade, there's been little progress um, and we wanna ensure that there's a quick build or a safety project happening that's, um, and we believe that the Board of Supervisors should place more urgency on them. We also found that SFPD does not focus on the five in districts all throughout the city. Um, we found that there was a lot of inconsistency. Uh, specifically, there was a lot of enforcement in the Richmond district, actually. But we found that in districts such as the Northern District, the Ingleside District, the Central District, and the Bayview Districts, there's little to no enforcement. Um, and in total, the percent of total traffic citations for focus on the five is below 50%. Um, and we know that the Board of Supervisors recently passed a resolution um, lowering the speed limit and also asking to reconvene the task force. However, we still um, believe that the task force should include a youth seat as a lot of fatalities happen near schools just because there's more general activity in those streets. Um, we, we know that there's an assembly bill for automated speed enforcement cameras currently and we just would appreciate it if the Board of Supervisors could continue monitoring that. Um, we also want to continue urging the Board of Supervisors to urge the SFMTA to deliver street safety projects quicker and to also prioritize Vision Zero projects near schools. Um, we, obviously, we need funding for all of these safety projects, and we believe that funding, with funding comes progress, and we believe that the Board of Supervisors should continue to prioritize and fund Vision Zero initiatives. Um, and lastly, we want to ensure that SFPD is enforcing its focus on the five traffic violations, especially on the high-injury network. Um, and then I'll pass it off to Commissioner Miller to talk about one of our historic BPPs, Free Muni for All Youth. Thank you. I was totally going to ask staff for one, so this is perfect. <laughs> yes. Supervisor um, Ronan got you. <laughs> hello again, supervisors. Um, as you know, the Youth Commission has long championed the, vision, or the Free Muni for All Youth policy. Um, Free Muni for Youth actually started um, back in the early 2000s um, when school bus cuts were made throughout SFUSD, and we pushed for the first... Um, discounted um, uh, Lifeline youth passes that were distributed to um, low-income youth. Um, the program was further expanded to moderate-income youth um, in the early 2010s, thanks in part to a grant um, from Google. And most recently, um, uh, free muni for all young people was implemented, and the age was expanded um, to include uh, people who were 18. Previously, it only included under 18. And um, an SFMTA study after the program was implemented found that 61% of people who are now using Free Muni for All Youth 
um, didn't participate in the previous means-tested program. This is because, in part, some people did not qualify, but also the administrative burden of having to go submit documents that may not be available in a person's language, it may not be available to apply in their neighborhood, presented significant bar barriers. So we've seen great success of the Free Muni for All Youth program, and we really need um, continued funding and for the SFMTA to include this in their baseline budget. So this is not something that's up for debate every year. We need this to be permanent so that our young people can um, rely on this. Um, and also in the future, we are interested in looking to expand the age um, and potentially include other populations such as you know, city college students and others. So our recommendations here, yes, are to continue the program. Um, definitely look for any uh, grants that could be used to fund this program and uh, to promote the program to make sure that everybody's aware that you, know, you don't need to pay, you can just um, get on. And that this is also a great way beyond just getting to school. You know, students uh, who go out you know, with their friends on the weekends and stuff can also take advantage of the program. So marketing it for that as well. Thank you, Commissioner Miller. And then the next issue that the Youth Commission focused on was studying the removal of the Central Freeway. So um, as you guys may know, uh, Senator Scott Weiner recently urged Caltrans in a letter to study the removal of the Central Freeway, and that's why I was personally inspired to look into the issue. When looking into the issue, we found three main issues with the Central Freeway. First of that being community division. Um, so, you know, dating back to the 1960s, we know that urban planners literally created freeways to divide black and brown communities. Um, and specifically in San Francisco, um, a study showed that freeways had become a color line separating black and brown communities as well. So we see that this has um, racist remnants and we wanna ensure that communities are united rather than divided. Second, um, we all know that freeways and cars in general produce a lot of air pollution. Um, specifically in San Francisco, the transportation sector accounts for um, the largest factor in air pollution. We wanna ensure that we're looking into this issue and being cautious of um, which communities live nearby the freeways aren't, and are actually, their health relies on um, us looking into how we can remedy um, and mitigate the air pollution in this area. Lastly, um, the third issue that we found was pedestrian safety in general. Um, as I mentioned earlier, as, as a city, we're really behind on our Vision Zero goals. The San Francisco Standard recently did an investigation where we, they looked at the most dangerous streets in the city. Four out of 10 of those intersections were right by the freeway. Um, as, a lot of people, especially youth who are you know, just trying to walk to school, are endangered every day. Um, and I just don't think it's fair that youth can't even walk and breathe in their own neighborhoods. Um, so that's why I was personally inspired to look into this issue. Um, I live in District 11, right by the 280 freeway. Um, so you know, it, it's been hard for me to get around. It's been hard for me to bike. It's been hard for me to take public transit. So that's what's really inspired me to study this issue. Um, and when studying this issue, I was also I found a lot of um, past successful freeway removals. So with the Embarcadero and Octavia Freeway, in 1989, the Loma Prieta earthquake damaged both of them. Um, and as you may know, both freeways were removed, but now um, they've become very valuable and beautiful community spaces for San Francisco. Um, in both boulevards, there's more foot traffic, there's more walking and cycling. There's been an increase in jobs, retail sales, and affordable housing, and also specifically with the Embarcadero Boulevard, um, it encouraged a lot of public transit. And um, modes such as bicyclists um, and cars were able to coexist with one another, which is rare in the city of San Francisco. 
Um, and also, a Caltrans study showed that um, car traffic actually failed to materialize in both boulevards, which is pretty important to note, um, considering that the debate the debate regarding removing the central freeway is that, oh no, like it'll increase car traffic, but um, with both the Embarcadero and Octavia, we found that um, car drivers were actually able to look to surrounding streets um, and they were able to navigate without the freeway. So um, I included this picture. It's a picture of the Embarcadero Boulevard before the freeway removal, um, which is actually crazy because I, you know, before I looked into this issue, I never knew that this beautiful space could be a freeway for cars. Um, so then our recommendations again are, um, there's already a clause in the San Francisco general plan that urges Caltrans to study the removal of the freeway. Um, so we urge the board of supervisors to urge Caltrans to complete the study. Um, and secondly, we obviously need funding for the study. Um, so we want the board of supervisors to look into several grants in order for the study to be completed. Um, and lastly, we want to ensure that the voices of the community are centered when we're talking about freeway removal, which, um, as we all know, like is a very controversial issue. So we want to ensure that the Board of Supervisors are centering the voices of community organizations that want to be included. Um, recently, uh, 100 organizations came together and sent a letter asking to be involved in this issue. So as you guys are moving forward, um, as you're sourcing grants for the study, as you're completing the study, we want to ensure that we're holding listening sessions and we're just gathering feedback from the community so that this is an equitable process. Because we know that in the past, marginalized communities have been mainly excluded from these important planning conversations that affect their everyday lives. So that wraps up the Housing, Recreation, and Transit Committee priorities. Um, we'll take questions later in the end, but I'd like to introduce the next committee, the Transformative Justice Committee. And this is Commissioner Colleen and Commissioner Shaw. Yes, good evening. Um, yes, I am Commissioner Colleen, the District 9 appointee and the chair of the Transformative Justice Committee. And hello, my name is Raven Shaw. I am mayoral appointee as well as the vice chair of Transformative Justice Committee and the co-legislative affairs officer. Awesome. All right, so our first BPP is Alternatives to Youth and Transitional Aged Youth Incarceration. And many of the background I'll be sharing today, I assume many of you already know. So in 2019, the Board of Supervisors introduced legislation to close Juvenile Hall by uh, December 31, 2021, as well as expand community-based alternatives to detention and provide a rehabilitative, non-institutional place of detention, among other recommendations. As a result, um, in November 2021, the San Francisco Closed Juvenile Hall Workgroups published an 88-page report with 39 recommendations about programs, activities, and the general space of the facility. However, as of today, three years since um, the approved closure of Juvenile Hall, it remains open. Due to the delays and general confusion about Juvenile Hall and the next steps, commissioners met with Chief Miller of Juvenile Justice Center on December 2022. During this meeting, commissioners learned of various things, including that the Board of Supervisors never formally approved any of the proposals, which meant that the city never had a formal obligation to carry out any of the recommendations. Additionally, it seems that during the creation of the proposals, no one in the work groups checked the legality of each recommendation and whether the mayor or the BOS um, had the jurisdiction or power to approve them. As well, on February 2023, commissioners took a tour of Juvenile Hall in which we got to see the facility and learn more about um, programs and different activities offered. 
Um, so Juno Hall was created with 150 beds. Despite that, the past few years and currently only 22 youth are currently in the facility. And because there's no official plan for what will happen with the facility, no physical changes are able to be implemented. Lastly, because Governor Newsom signed SB 92, setting a defined closure date for all of California's remote division of juvenile justice facilities, as well as SB 823, shifting responsibility for youth and convicted of serious offenses from the state to the counties, San Francisco is legally required to have an open juvenile justice center. So while the goal in the future is to eliminate youth um, incarceration, it is not possible to close juvenile hall. However, it is possible to create physical changes um, to the center that are grounded in wellness and rehabilitation. As a result, our recommendations are to one, continue to fund city departments and community-based organizations that support and provide violence prevention. Some examples are, but are not limited to, the San Francisco Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families, which ensures that families with children are a prominent and valid segment of San Francisco's social fabric by supporting programs and activities. Another one is the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, which advocates for human and civil rights and works in service of the city's anti-discrimination laws to further racial solidarity, equity, and healing. We also have the Young Women's Freedom Center, which has been a primary organization in fighting for the closure of Juvenile Hall. And we have Coleman Advocates, a nonprofit organization that has pioneered programs and policies to expand opportunity for San Francisco's children, youth, and their families. And then lastly, we have United Playas, a San Francisco-based violence prevention and youth development organization that provides a comprehensive range of services um, to prepare vulnerable youth for higher education, employment, and healthy living within a safe, nurturing, and collaborative environment. Our second recommendation is to increase funding for the Juvenile Justice Center's basic needs and programs slash resources. When the Youth Commission toured Juvenile Hall, we learned that it was just within this year that Juvenile Hall is able to provide new undergarments to the youth, whereas in the past, the undergarments have been reused for people who come in. And then lastly, our third recommendation is to work with the state and courts to finalize a plan to improve and or possibly expand the existing facility that is once again grounded in wellness and rehabilitation. Our second BPP is to expand harm reduction measures for youth drug use by funding a Narcan program in all San Francisco schools. So as many of you may know, fentanyl is a quick-acting synthetic opioid pain reliever with a potency 50 to 100 times greater than that of heroin. In the past few years, there has been a rise in illegally manufactured fentanyl as a fake prescription pills, which are often linked to recent drug overdose deaths. I would like to share some um, data. So in 2020 and 2021, San Francisco's Tenderloin and Soma districts saw between 18% and 23% of overdose deaths related to drug overdoses. In total, over 1,360 drug overdose deaths have occurred in San Francisco, with the Tenderloin and Soma districts once more hosting the majority of these fatalities. Recently, there has also been a rise in rainbow fentanyl with drug dealers targeting teenagers and um, young adults because of the bright colored pills. And in fact, teen drug use has been rapidly increasing in San Francisco. In 2019, there were 253 deaths, 600, 680 in 2020, and 880 in 2021. And in the US, fentanyl is at fault for 77% of drug-related deaths among teenagers. 
So we are asking for the implementation of our Narcan program in San Francisco because one in three opioid overdose involve a witness, and with the correct equipment like naloxone, bystanders and youth who possibly use or are surrounded by people who use opioids or fentanyl can take action to prevent an overdose death. Naloxone is a life-saving treatment designed to quickly reverse the effects of opioid overdoses. 16% of individuals who acquire take-home naloxone from schools have helped reverse an opioid overdose, and any individual who administers naloxone to a person is not liable for anything that may happen afterwards because of California's Good Samaritan law that protects them. And then lastly, in 2022, California passed SB 367 called Campus Opioid Safety Act to prevent opioid-related overdoses on state university campuses by providing free naloxone to its students. And then recently, California politicians are attempting to pass SB 472 called Pupil Health Opioid Overdose Reversal Medication, which seeks to reduce opioid overdose deaths by requiring school districts, county office of education, or charter schools to maintain naloxone at all times. So our recommendations. So the first one is to, for San Francisco to give additional funds to the Department of Public Health for a Narcan program um, to be implemented. Our second recommendation is to apply for a grant from the California Department of Healthcare Services. And it's actually real interesting because a lot of California school districts, such as Placer County, Marin County, Solono County, and Los Angeles County, have implemented a Narcan program with great success in reducing overdose deaths, as well as um, educating students on the symptoms of overdoses and what to do when an overdose is occurring. And a lot of these counties receive their naloxone through California state grants. Our third recommendation is to implement a Narcan program in all San Francisco public, private, and charter schools um, in collaboration with the Department of Healthcare Services and the Drug Overdose Prevention and Education Project, which is the largest single city naloxone distribution program in the United States. Our fourth recommendation is that when distributing naloxone to include a pamphlet with clear steps on how to administer naloxone, as well as um, possible symptoms of what an overdose looks like and what to do. And this is because um, for people as myself who have never seen an overdose occur, I might not know what the symptoms are or what to do in the moment. Our fifth um, recommendation is an extension of the fourth recommendation, which is to have free naloxone available in San Francisco schools for students, school, faculty, um, staff, and the parents of youth, just so that they have naloxone in hand in case they are um, a witness in an overdose. And then lastly, our sixth recommendation is to increase the availability and accessibility of substance use services, um, such as therapy, counseling, information packets for parents about rehab or resources to support youth or people who are struggling with drug addictions. Our last PPP, I'm gonna raise this, I'm tall. Okay. Our last PPP is urging San Francisco to take action in order to restore Bayview Hunters Point. Um, in California, BIPOC communities are five times more likely to be within a half mile uh, radius of polluted areas. And unfortunately, uh, Baby Center Point is no exception. Uh, currently, um, it's black residents comprised of two thirds of the community, which is about 20,000 residents. And uh, Baby was experiencing high risk of environmental and health concerns due specifically to the Naval Shipyard, uh, which has caused decades of environmental harm. Uh, to be specific, according to the San Francisco Department of Public Health, Baby 
view is more at risk of health and environmental catastrophes uh, as 27% of the community is within a quarter mile of the Naval Shipyard. Um, since its inception around the 1940s, the Naval Shipyard was originally intended um, as a uh, radiological defense laboratory in order to test radiological um, uh, experimentation and research. And so this has caused toxic contaminants to uh, not be disposed of properly when around the 1960s that laboratory was closed. Uh, this has caused for the Navy to be responsible in uh, cleaning up and properly disposing of the toxic contaminants. However, that is not necessarily the case as recently we have uh, seen um, a rise in toxic contaminants, specifically with flooding as uh, with water rises, the weather we can see um, it's been a constant amount of rain can cause flooding and that in that rise, um, the toxin contaminants can seep within the area. This is unfortunate, especially when we consider our youth as when kids are growing and developing are exposed to this type of contaminants, it risks their health and it risks the health of the entire community. Um, therefore, although in recent years there has been an initiative to push for the Navy to clean up the site, um, there has been a lack of clarity on whose responsibility it is to ultimately fund and clean the site. Um, for instance, um, as seen in the picture, the Naval Shipyard has been split up into parcels. And so parcel A, uh, which was supposed to fund, be funded for about $100 million to clean the site, was actually uh, re-looked um, at and was seen that $300 million was supposed to be used to fund it. And right now, in this rise of uh, new infrastructure developments wanting to be pursued in Bayview, there is um, worry on whether or not the land is safe not only to be developed and to ensure that um, the people who are living there that were safe. Um, and so because of this call for uh, taking responsibility of the cleaning of the shipyard and in ensuring that there's proper cleaning of the site, uh, the 2021-2022 jury created a report on what was happening to address the environmental concerns occurring in um, the Naval Shipyard and Bayview's Hunters Point. And as um, there has been a resolution that was passed by the BOS. However, it didn't include the entirety of the report. And so there is still um, a lack of understanding on next steps moving forward. So with that being said, our recommendations are as such. Number one, implement the entirety of the 2021-2022 Civil Grand Jury Report. Uh, the Youth Commission believes that in establishing the entirety of the report, not only is it acknowledging the reality of what's happening in the Naval Shipyard, but also just helps to provide validity and to ensure that correct steps are taken forward um, for the Naval site. Um, secondly, create policies to ensure the environmental safety of future infrastructure developments are upheld. Uh, we believe that A, uh, conduct a thorough review of the environmental health concerns so that when future infrastructure is built, again, that it's safe for people to live on um, and to have uh, well-being in where they stay. And then secondly, we believe it's important that uh, community input is used. This allows for equitability within the de future developments and it just ensures that there's uh, strong communication between the future of the community of Bayview um, for the people living there now and for generations to come. And lastly, fund community initiatives, uh, kind of tying back to the point of including community voice and involvement. Uh, there have been a multitude of initiatives within uh, by Bayview residents themselves in 
voicing what's happening with the Naval Shipyard. For instance, uh, the Bayview-Hunters Point Environmental and Climate Justice Leadership Academy has been used to help use youth voices to understand the reality of environmental uh, concern, not only within Bayview, but within the entirety of San Francisco. And so that's an important community initiative that has helped pushing even within the youth of what's occurring right now. And then lastly, there's another uh, Bayview-Hunters Point Environmental Justice Task Force, which too is incorporating community involvement and community members' voices to uplift the understanding of what's happening within that community. Um, and so this concludes uh, the TJ Committee BPPs. Thank you. And then on to our next committee, the Civic Engagement and Education Committee. I'll pass it off to uh, Commissioner Hum or Chair Hum. Good evening, uh, members of the Board of Supervisors. My name is Stephen Hum. I am the Legislative Affairs Officer for the San Francisco Youth Commission. I also serve as the Chair of the Civic Engagement and Education Committee. Um, the Civic Engagement and Education Committee inspires youth to participate in San Francisco's government by expanding youth um, civic representation through Vote 16, um, civics education, and voter registration. Um, I would like to introduce one, our first member, uh, Commissioner Utting, to present. Thank you, Commissioner Hum, and thank you, Supervisors. Our first recommendation is to provide oversight of and invest in school safety measures for San Francisco students. I think we can all agree that schools should be a safe space. Unfortunately, SFPD has responded to 790 violent crime incidents at SFUSD school sites since 2013. And when these things do happen, it's important that schools are equipped to protect student safety. However, many SFUSD schools lack basic safety infrastructure like public announcement systems, security cameras, and remote door buzzer systems. Additionally, the, in, the funding for this infrastructure hasn't been allocated. And even when it is allocated, introducing the necessary safety infrastructure in SFUSD will take years. And so we want to ensure that schools are as safe as possible as soon as possible. Given these issues, we urge the city to request a plan for school safety infrastructure upgrades and to provide oversight on the implementation of this plan. We also urge the city to partner with SFUSD to determine and meet funding needs for school safety infrastructure. We don't want schools to have to wait years to have these basic safety needs. This should happen as soon as possible and by partnering with SFUSD, we can ensure that safety needs are met in an efficient and a timely manner. Um, next, I'll be passing it off to Commissioner Barker Plummer. Thank you, Commissioner Utting, and thank you, Supervisors. So when it comes to keeping our schools safe, a key component of that is sharing safe firearm storage information with families. A majority of school shootings that are committed by young people um, in the United States the weapon that was used was either retrieved at their home or the home of a close relative. Both the San Francisco Police Code and the California Penal Code require gun owners to securely store their firearms so that young people cannot gain access to them. Um, in, in January of 2022, the Youth Commission unanimously passed re a resolution urging all San Francisco schools to send home safe firearm storage information. 
More recently, state law was also updated to require all public school districts to send home safe firearm storage information um, every year. With all of this in place, we still unfortunately have concerns that SFUSD is not fulfilling this, man this um, requirement, and we urge you all to maintain oversight over that to make sure that, those, that ba this basic safety need is being met by San Francisco schools. Um, our next sub recommend, uh, subsection of our school safety BPP regards sexual assault and harassment in SFUSD schools. So as I'm sure many of you, you all are aware, sexual assault and harassment, both between students and between adults and students, it's a consistent and pervasive issue in San Francisco schools. In the past 10 years, San Francisco has responded to 25 different calls, or SFPD has responded to 25 different calls reporting rape at an SFUSD school site. Many more cases of assault and harassment go unreported. Unfortunately, the Youth Commission's research showed that little progress has been made on the issue and that this crisis is institutional in our schools. A public records request by the Youth Commission showed that in 2022, SFUSD only investigated five of the 24 Title IX sexual harassment complaints that were filed in all of 2022. In 2005, the Youth Commission collaborated with the SFUSD Student Advisory Council to produce a report on sexual assault and harassment in schools. This report made specific recommendations to city departments. Very few, if any, of those have been implemented since. In 2016, the Board of Supervisors passed an ordinance creating a Safer, sexual, a safer Schools Task Force to inform the city on what it can do to address this issue. Unfortunately, their final report did not include any specific recommendations for reducing sexual assault on all school campuses, failed to provide concrete recommendations and solutions, and it only ended up interviewing 18 of the 60,263 SFUSD students at the time. The task force did not have any youth representation on it. And one of the few concrete recommendations that the task force did make, which was to continue the task force to continue working on this issue, was not implemented and the task force then stopped. On a more positive note, we want to note that yesterday Supervisor Melgar introduced an ordinance to restart the Safest Schools Task Force, this time with youth seats following a resolution from the Youth Commission urging the board to do so. We would like to thank Supervisor Melgar for her partnership on this, and we look forward to working with all of you to get this passed and implemented well. Most recently in 2021, students across San Francisco schools walked out and took to the streets to demand better protection and better support for survivors. In response, we present to you these uh, policy priorities. First, as we said, is to restart the Safer Schools Sexual Assault Task Force and ensure there's adequate youth representation. We're looking forward very much to working with you all to make this a reality. Second, is to adopt mandatory sexual harassment and assault training for all school staff. And the third is to find data on the current state of sexual harassment and assault, as well as data to uh, measure the effectiveness of the sexual assault and harass, uh, of the Safer Schools Task Force on sexual assault and harassment. Next, I'll hand it over to Commissioner Utting. Thank you. Our next recommendation is to increase voter pre-registration efforts. We know that when more people vote, our government is more representative. We especially want youth to vote not only to voice their current opinions, 
but to develop positive voting habits. Unfortunately, in 2014, only half of Californians ages 18 to 24 were registered to vote, and only 8% voted. Efforts like the California Students Vote Project, which was established in 2016, have dramatically increased youth voter engagement and registration. In 2018, youth voter registration reached 62% and turnout was 27.5%. However, youth voters still remain below other age groups in their turnout. One of the methods for increasing voter turnout is pre-registration. Pre-registration can increase youth voter turnout by up to 13 percentage points. San Francisco's pre-registration is estimated to be around 15%, though this is a little bit hard to gauge because a lot of students go through both physical forms and the state's website to pre-register. However, this is still less than a quarter of youth in San Francisco. There are clearly a lot more people that we can reach to encourage them to pre-register and exercise their right to vote. The city, the Department of Elections, also conducts outreach to students in schools. They have a high school ambassador program where students urge each other to pre-register to vote. They also conduct outreach by tabling at schools and at community events to encourage pre-registration and voter registration. SFUSD also passed a resolution in 2016 titled Encouraging Students to Exercise Their Voting Rights. And this resolution encouraged schools to do things like teach the major San Francisco political parties and teach students about voter registration in their American democracy classes. It also urged SFUSD to partner with the city to provide students with the necessary forms to pre-register in their classes and to develop sheets outlining the legal requirements of voter registration and pre-registration. However, we're unclear if this resolution was implemented, and if so, what the results are. And so because our Civic Engagement Committee had difficulty finding data on the effectiveness of outreach efforts in San Francisco, we created a survey that received more than 500 responses. And the goal of this survey was to identify the effectiveness of current outreach efforts and civic engagement in San Francisco schools. So we just wanted to share a few of our key findings. We found that 60% of youth who were eligible to pre-register to vote were not pre-registered to vote. And half of the youth who cited that they were not pre-registered to vote said it was because they didn't know they could. They didn't know that that existed, that that was an option for them. You also might find this interesting. 64% of youth under 17 didn't know who their district supervisor was. And this is important because you all are the elected officials that youth can reach out to if they have an issue. And so we want them to know who their district supervisor is so they know who they can, who they can contact. And when we asked youth over 18 if they felt prepared to vote in a local election, more than half of youth answered either disagree, strongly disagree, or neutral. And the distribution of this data is very much similar to those of youth under 18 when we asked them the same question. And so that is showing us that even when youth are able to vote, they still don't feel prepared by the city and by their schools to vote. And so we are learning from this data that cities and schools need to do more to make sure 
that youth are prepared to become active and engaged voters. And based on that, our recommendations are that the city continue funding the Department of Elections Youth Voter Outreach and increase information and outreach about pre-registration opportunities to youth. We've seen that there's a large percentage of youth who are not being reached and think that more could be done to increase pre-registration in San Francisco. We also urge the city to research current outreach efforts, research the effectiveness of current outreach efforts to increase voter pre-registration. We want to understand what could be changed or added on to what is being done now to make sure that we are re reaching more youth in San Francisco. And lastly, we want the city to follow up on the goals outlined in the Board of Education resolution that was encouraging students to exercise their voting rights. We heard from the Department of Elections about how difficult it was to reach SFUSD and students and feel that strengthening the partnership between SFUSD and the city would ensure that these outreach efforts are as effective as possible. Next, I'll be passing, passing it off to Commissioner Hum. Thank you, Commissioner Odding. Uh, moving on, the next item that I will be presenting will be uh, essentially vote 16, which would grant 16 and 17 year olds the right to vote um, in the city and county of San Francisco. Um, according to a youth vote student survey in 2016, um, almost 75% of SFUSD students will absolutely or most likely um, register to vote at 16 or 17 if they were given the, um, given the chance to. Um, and it is well shown that um, voting early um, in, and shown in some cities in, in the United States, it builds a habit of voting and boosting overall voter turnout, um, which is definitely important um, for our civic engagement. Um, one of the biggest thing is um, 16 and 17 year olds are able to work in San Francisco and um, because they're able to be taxed, um, they should be able to have a vote, uh, a voice in their government um, to see where that tax money goes to. Um, vote 16 actually has been on the uh, ballot twice already, first in 2016 and second in 2020, um, with 2020 um, losing by only less than 1%, um, up 30,000 votes uh, from 2016. Uh, a personal anecdote of mine, um, I've been engaged civically in government since I was 12, um, so this is personally deep to me. And in its simplicity, um, we, the San Francisco Youth Commission, uh, recommend that the Board of Supervisors place a charter amendment on the ballot to lower vo the voting age to 16. Um, furthermore, we do, rec we do urge um, the Board of Supervisors to place, to urge California legislators to place a constitutional referendum um, on the ballot to lower the voting age to 16 for the state. And lastly, we do recommend that we should host another joint hearing um, with the Board of Supervisors and the Youth Commission um, to discuss Vote 16 and its impact on youth. Um, in essence, um, the Youth Commission believes that youth should have a voice in our government. We are the future leaders and torchbearers of our communities. Let us bring our insight and our optimism. We are ready. Moving on, I will also present about um, increasing existing funding for wellness centers um, in San Francisco public schools. 
Um, just to give you a brief history, in 1999, uh, the San Francisco Wellness Initiative implemented wellness centers in um, all SFUSD schools. Um, to give you more of statistics of how those wellness centers are working, um, According to the Chinese Progressive Association survey, those wellness centers do not meet the cultural or linguistic needs of its students and families because of the staff um, that is being provided. Um, approximately of 30% of all minorities um, in SFUSD grades 7, 9, and 11 um, express, experience depression-related feelings, and this disconnect between services and students and fear of parents finding out about mental health issues is what preventing um, students from reaching out um, to seek that support from their schools. In essence, the San Francisco Youth Commission recommends that the Board of Supervisors increase um, funding to hire diverse staff members for mental health support. Um, that includes staff that have different backgrounds, different, and the ability to speak different languages um, to support all students in SFUSD. Um, we also want to promote the investment in preventable resources um, to support student mental health before, um, before anything happens. And lastly, we do want to make sure that student voices are heard um, in terms of mental health uh, policies in San Francisco, whether it's through the district or schools, we just want to make sure that students are heard and our uh, recommendations are heard as well. Moving on, I would like to pass it to the LGBTQ plus task force. Um, good evening, supervisors. I'm uh, Gabby Lastana. I'm the D District 6 Commissioner, and I'm also the Communications and Outreach Officer of the Youth Commission, as well as the Chair of the LGBTQ Plus Task Force. And just to give a brief overview of what our task force does, um, the goal of the LGBTQ Plus Task Force is to advocate for the needs of LGBTQ Plus youth in San Francisco, who are often an overlooked group um, of youth. Um, and our BPPs mainly focus on support for LGBTQ Plus youth. Um, in schools as well as in education and also just supporting LGBTQ plus organizations in the city. So I'll be passing it off to Commissioner Barker Plummer to introduce our first PPP. Thank you, Commissioner Lestana. Um, hi again. So across the country, we are seeing a rise in political rhetoric and legislation targeting queer youth and the organizations and programs supporting queer youth. Because of Thank you. Um, unfortunately, uh, because of this, LGBTQ plus youth serving organizations across the country have seen an increase in hateful harassment and attacks. Unfortunately, even though San Francisco is an incredibly progressive city, uh, we still see that this is occurring here in San Francisco as well. It's not an outlier. For example, the Lyric Center for LGBTQQ Youth has received five bomb threats and numerous instances of online harassment and hate between April and December of 2022. They, along with many other LGBTQ plus serving, youth serving organizations in San Francisco, formed the LGBTQIA plus Coalition on Safety to effectively coordinate regarding new safety measures and advocate for greater financial support and safety measures for their organizations. The coalition has requested a grant of 350,000 from the 2023 to 2024 budget for critical safety funding for their organizations. This funding would go towards building and improving technical and physical safety infrastructure, 
implementing safety practices and systems, providing risk reduction efforts to these organizations, hiring community ambassadors to support ongoing risk and safety assessments, hiring safety consultants to help the coalition build a citywide mechanism for support of these organizations when they become a target for hate and harassment, as well as providing emergency funds, support, and security assistance to organizations under threat uh, for their work on LGBTQ plus rights. That's why we are recommending that the Board of Supervisors support and grant to the LGBTQIA Coalition on Safety Funding Requests, and we look forward to working with you all to make that a reality. I'll now hand it over to our task force member, Oz Rafer. Uh, hello, my name is Oz. I'm a D9 resident and a member of the LGBTQ task force. Um, so as I'm sure you all know, um, in Oh, right, sorry. Okay, so, um, as I'm sure you all know, on March 12th, 2020, uh, Marilyn and Bree closed down San Francisco due to concerns about COVID-19. And during quarantine, teaching online put strain on already stressed out teachers. A record amount of teachers experienced burnout and decreased mental health. Because of this, uh, teachers, teachers started quitting. Um, according to the head of human resources for uh, SFUSD, um, over, or, 450 classroom positions need to be filled for the current school year, and after the school year started, 25% of those positions open, or remained open. This especially affects health education. Um, in SFUSD middle schools, health, health, health education, oh, I'm sorry. Health, health education is an already under-prioritized and understaffed subject. The large majority of SFUSD schools have zero properly credentialed health education teachers. Um, they, instead, to meet state required mandates, they have uncredentialed PE or science teachers teach instead. Um, these teachers do not have the time to teach health education to an acceptable extent, which is an issue of both credentials and headcount. Um, this especially affects LGB the LGBTQ plus based portion of health education which often includes actual miseducation due to uncredentialed teachers. This is especially harmful for LGBTQ youth who uh, need positive representation of queerness in schools to feel safe and accepted. Um, according to the GLSCN 2021 National School Climate Survey, um, seven out of 10 LGBTQ students experience verbal harassment and one out of four LGBTQ students uh, were physically harassed. All right, so uh, LGBTQ youth and all youth in general need a comprehensive curriculum to get the information that they need out of health education. Um, uh, also a personal anecdote, um, as a trans girl, I've also experienced this um, even in my independent school that I go to. So it's a very pervasive issue in San Francisco and in the country. So moving on to the curriculum, um, I would, uh, so in SFUSD High School, there's a Be Real, Be Ready program that um, more and more, more than a quarter of these lessons are uh, about queer identity and queer experiences. Um, but the middle school counterpart, the Healthy Me, Healthy Us curriculum only includes 10% um, of middle school, or only 10% of the lessons are about queer identity and queer experiences. The start of adolescence um, for most youth is middle school and is in a crucial point in forming of each person's identity. So an abundance of queer lessons is, is very important. 
2023, uh, most youth have ready access to the internet, um, especially to social media sites such as Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if they aren't being taught about queer identity to an acceptable extent in schools, um, it can often lead to miseducation online. So um, according to the Human Rights Campaign, more than or uh, anti-LGBTQ rhetoric increased by 400% online in 2022. Um, and so like if they aren't being, if students aren't being taught um, about queerness in schools, it is very, very likely that they will form their own opinions, positive or not, but according to research and statistics, especially if they are um, user, users of social media sites, uh, they'll be exposed to harmful rhetoric that might influence their opinions. So to, in order to have um, open and um, inc inclusive youth that are not homophobic or transphobic, it's, in, it's important to include queer lessons in health education. And there's data to, to support this. Uh, again, going back to the GLSEN 2021 National School Climate Survey, um, compared to students in school, or students in schools without an LGBTQ plus inclusive curriculum. Students in schools with an inclusive curriculum are less likely to hear negative remarks about transgender people and less likely to feel unsafe about their sexual orientation. Moving on to recommendations. The Youth Commission recommends uh, to implement an inclusive middle, health, middle school health curriculum for LGBT youth. It is important to um, show LGBT youth and all youth in general that um, they are okay and they can exist and for all youth in general it's important to learn about this because it's a part of life and it's a part of uh, humanity. Um, our second recommendation is to hire health teachers with proper credentials um, plus incentivize teachers to get proper health credentials. So it's important that the people who teach our youth these very important lessons about life um, know what they're talking about and aren't making mistakes um, that can be very harmful towards youth. And our third recommendation is to uh, urge the Board of Supervisors to urge the state of California to make the health education state mandates more uh, comprehensive towards the LGBTQ youth and LGBTQ plus portion of health education. While we recognize that California is a leader um, in this subject, it is very important to keep uh, going back to um, our, our curriculums so that they are updated and stay informed with um, current ideas about identity and life. Um, and our fourth recommendation is to gather feedback from health education curriculum um, from SFUSD employees because they're the people on the ground either teaching these things or witnessing them being taught every day. Um, and so it is very important to get their perspective on a matter such as this. Um, all right, so with that, I'm gonna pass this off to uh, Gabby. Hello again, supervisors. Um, I'm gonna be presenting on the last BPP for the LGBTQ plus task force, which is establishing safe spaces in schools and making resources for LGBTQ plus students more accessible. So although LGBTQ plus people have a lot more support in the United States, especially now, there is still a lot of discrimination that can happen to LGBTQ plus youth, especially with the rise of anti-LGBTQ plus rhetoric. For example, according to the Anti-Defamation League's 2021 online hate and harassment survey, it showed that 64% of LGBTQ plus respondents were harassed based on their identity. Um, and furthermore, LGBTQ plus respondents 
respondents rep reported more overall harassment than other demographics. Um, and also according to the Trevor Noah Project's um, survey, the Trevor Noah Project's national survey on LGBTQ plus youth mental health, 21% um, of transgender and non-binary kids have attempted suicide and 52% of um, have seriously contemplated it. This shows that LGBTQ plus harassment can have a real consequence on our LGBTQ plus youth. And one thing that really contributes to this um, pervasive LGBTQ plus harassment is anti LGBTQ plus policies. So over 35 states have adopted anti-transgender laws between January and June of 2021. And this includes banning gender-affirming healthcare for minors and also transgender youth, especially trans women from sports. Um, and these anti-LGBTQ plus laws as a whole contribute to hateful trans slash LGBTQ plus discourse. And this can lead to people developing extreme views on the LGBTQ plus community. Um, which can also lead to LGBTQ plus harassment. And although San Francisco is unlikely to ever adopt um, anti-LGBTQ plus policies because this is a city that um, champions on LGBTQ plus rights and issues, um, LGBTQ plus harassment still exists in our schools and it's important to create these safe spaces for students to be able to have a space where they can express themselves freely without um, the fear of getting harassed and also to educate more on LGBTQ plus youth as a whole to show other students who may not be LGBTQ plus that it's okay to be queer and that you shouldn't discriminate queer people based on their sexuality or their gender identity. Um, so this leads us to our recommendations. So we urge the city to create safe spaces within schools for LGBTQ plus students. Um, and our second recommendation is to connect with organizations such as Lyric and the LGBT Center, which have already worked with, other, with some schools to create safe spaces um, and form clubs to extend school resources for LGBTQ plus youth, especially mental health resources, as we've seen that LGBTQ plus harassment can really affect our LGBTQ plus youth's mental health. And our last recommendation is to assess school climate to guide improvement strategies. And this could look like utilizing tools like the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network or GLSEN School Climate Survey, um, as well as talking to teachers and other school employees on what they see is going on um, on the ground to LGBTQ plus students so we can um, make sure that we are creating a safe enough space for LGBTQ plus youth in San Francisco. Um, yeah, and I'll be passing it off to Chair Wynn to give final remarks. Thank you so much, Commissioner Listana. Um, there is no last slide, but before we move into questions, I just want to thank and appreciate all of our commissioners for the incredible and hard work that they've done in this process. I mean, I think it's crazy that these commissioners are balancing schools with being a city commissioner. And I would have never thought that I would have been at City Hall for weeks and weeks, for hours and hours, past 9 p.m., close to 10 p.m. Like, I used to sleep at 9.30 p.m. Um, but yeah, I, I really wanna thank all of our commissioners for their incredible work during this process. None of this would have been possible with every single person on the commission. Um, I'd also like to thank staff. Um, our, our staff are new and they're, they're amazing, they're awesome. They've helped us in every part of this process and we seriously could not have done it without them. Um, so I wanna extend my 
appreciation for every person on the commission um, and for every person that's made this report possible. Um, and lastly, I'd like to thank you guys for listening and for being there um, and for considering our recommendations. I mean, I think historically, the San Francisco Youth Commission and the San Francisco Board of Supervisors has had one of the strongest partnerships in the country. I mean, we've, we've allowed for free public transportation for all youth in the city. We've placed vote 16 on the ballot twice, um, and we've closed down 850 Bryant, and I think that none of that would have been possible without your collaboration and your cooperation. So thank you for being here, and thank you for always continuing to partner with the Youth Commission. Um, so those are just my remarks. I really appreciate everyone for their time here tonight. Um, but before we close, I want to ensure that you guys have the time and the space to ask us any questions. So I'll pass it back to Chair Chan. Thank you, Chair Wynn. Um, the first on the roster is our Vice Chair, uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Um, thank you, Chair Chan, and thank you to the Youth Commissioners and to the Youth Commission staff. Um, like Supervisor Ronan, I have a prior commitment that I am going to be late for, but um, I'm going to have to leave um, uh, now. But um, I do, um, you know, as uh, the gay on the uh, budget committee, I am uh, particularly grateful for the uh, work that, um, that the LGBTQ plus task force has done. Um, and as chair of the Transportation Authority, um, I uh, was interested in, impressed by all the recommendations related to slow streets and urban placemaking and, uh, and transportation and free muni um, and uh, have been thinking a lot and will continue to think um, about the need for additional uh, revenue and resources to pay for the capital investments we need to make and the operating investments. I'm um, very happy we were able to renew our transportation sales tax. Thanks to all my colleagues um, for, for our work together on that. Um, but uh, I think we need to do a lot more to um, get us to the 21st century transportation we need. So with that, sorry, everybody, I got to go. Thank you, Vice Chairman Ullman. Thank you. And uh, Supervisor Walton. I just wanted to say this before Supervisor Mandelman left as the black on the uh, <laughs> Um, no, this is, this is really hard work and committed work. And one, I just want to appreciate all of the youth for stepping up and, and serving in this role. Uh, to your point, Chair Wynn, you all take up time out of your days. You still have to go to school. You still have to study. You still have to excel. So I want to thank you all for your commitment and dedication to your city and to, to the young people here in San Francisco. Uh, and two, just want to appreciate all the work around social justice and stepping up for underserved communities that need us the most. I think that if you notice across the country and if you look at history, all of the movements that start here in the United States start with young people, start with youth, and you are carrying the trend by stepping up in ways and learning and understanding how to push policy and influence policy, particularly at a young age. So just want to commend all of you for that. Uh, there's some things in here that we're most certainly going to be paying attention to uh, as we continue to not only work through the budget process, but of course just work to pass policy here in San Francisco. And I, for one, am just excited about a lot of the work my office does and having the support of the Youth Commission and being able to work side by side with young people to uh, achieve success as we continue to fight for equity and social justice. So. Thank you for being here today and thank you for your presentation. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Supervisor Safai.
Thank you, Chair Wynn. I'm so proud to have you as my appointee. And I have, there's <laughs> Stephen there also. I uh, have a number of people that I've worked with that are there. But I just want to say, just as I, I always say this, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it, but I, you know, if, when I was 16 or 17, I don't know if I could come, have come to City Hall and Board Chamber and present as articulate and unwavering as you all did today. I, I didn't hear any stumbling. I mean, you might have been a little nervous, but you didn't really show it. You all did such a phenomenal job. I am so, so impressed. And I wish some of our departments would present as clearly and concisely. <laughs> Not these guys. These guys are our budget people. These are the people that recommend to us. But we have department people that come in, and sometimes they're not able to condense information as succinctly as you all did today and to the point. And so just wanted to give you some positive feedback on your presentation. There was a lot of good eye contact. There was real articulation of ideas. It was summarized in a concise way. And it's easy for people to follow. And just know that there'll be a lot of people watching this um, on government TV. So you're not just presenting to us, but you're <coughs> presenting to the citizens of San Francisco. Thank so one of the things I want to tell you, so I, I don't know if you were looking for feedback, but <coughs> or some information or some comments. I think all of the issues that you presented on are, are extreme and high priorities for the members of the Board of Supervisors. Um, with regard to the, the slide on supporting youth and transitional age youth experiencing homelessness. Just wanted you to know that we did a ballot measure to create an oversight commission for the Department of Homeless and Supportive Housing. And <clears throat> that was an initiative that I carried along with support from all my colleagues. But one of the things that we did was we ensured that there was a seat. I made sure that there was a seat that was specifically designated for transitional age youth, youth and families. And one of the reasons why is because, as you probably know, for those <coughs> of you that <coughs> presented on that and did the research on it, it is one, they have one of the highest probabilities of becoming homeless, but they are not the largest part of the homeless population. Mm -hmm. So they can be overshadowed by the rest of. So we want uh, of, the, of that community. So we wanted to uplift them. We wanted to put them into a position where their voice would be heard and carried. So something for you all to think about on the Youth Commission, that you have a voice, uh, a direct line to the, uh, um, the homelessness, the new Homelessness Oversight uh, Commission. And so the person that we put into that seat that worked a lot with children and families is a former supervisor. He used to represent District 8, and his name is Bevan Dufty. He's also uh, a BART board commissioner or director. So if you all are interested, something to think about, but I just wanted you to know that that's something that was important to me as well. Um, the, the slide that was on a study of the removal of the Central Freeway, and I know that was yours. So I was, I'm originally from the East Coast. I grew up in Boston and Cambridge. They went through an, a, a similar process. They actually implemented it. They took down their Central Freeway, and it took a really, really long time. But they didn't remove it altogether. They submerged it because he still needed access to certain parts of the city. So I just wanted to encourage you, I know you're out there uh, advocating for, talking about the impacts to the community, but also thinking about the impacts of transportation and what that would mean and why it was created. And maybe something to think about is the submersion of that portion feeding into those freeways, and then it significantly reduces pollution 
and can still provide for the flow of. I know Supervisor Walton's district feeds, um, is fed by a lot of uh, the 280 and that central freeway and there's a lot of light industrial businesses that still rely heavily on access but they also add to the pollution and mm -hmm. so something to think about there um, with regard to the um, oh not that one oh the safety measures I'll talk about in a second there was one other oh, slide on um, Oh, here we go. Expand access to youth center recreational spaces. One of the things that we learned in this uh, committee that was actually a surprise to me, um, we, I don't remember, no, no, it was in the budget committee, it wasn't on appropriations. We actually had, you know, um, Crystal Springs that's owned by the Public Utilities Commission. There actually is a, a recreation area at the end of that, and there's a recreation center and a learning center and an area to access uh, something to think about, I, I understand that the Marin Headlands is one, but if the committee wanted to think and do a little bit more research, it's down the peninsula, and it's actually owned and operated by and part of the city and county of San Francisco, and it's a phenomenal recreation and trail area uh, that I think is completely underutilized and something that, you know, something to think about as a way to access. But if you were specifically thinking about the um, Marin Headlands and access to that area. I also sit on the Golden Gate Transportation Board and they run, eight, you know, the transit runs those lines and so you can follow up with our office and we can talk about if there's a way that we can access getting youth specifically or, or, or low-income families or those that might not necessarily access recreation space, similar to what you've highlighted there. So feel free to follow up with Lauren Chung in my office and and Emily knows how to connect with her as well. Um, and then, did you, did you want to respond to any of that? What? Oh, I, didn't, I don't know if you wanted to respond. No. Oh, okay. I was just like, yeah, I do know Lauren. Yeah, yeah, I know you know Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, with regard to uh, safety in schools, because it's something that we've been talking a lot over the last week in particular, um, and mental health that's related to that. Some, if you saw Supervisor Walton and I talking on the side, as you all were speaking and there was a lot of information, we were kind of reflecting back on some of the things that we've talked about in this chamber for some time. And one of them was the um, fact that the Department of Public Health, and I said this yesterday in our Board of Supervisors meeting, they fund a number of our mental health programs and they have a significant amount of our money from in terms of the budget, in terms of our overall budget. But one of the decisions that was made last year was to cut one of the mental health programs that, that people have a lot of familiarity with and had a lot of success, the Seneca program. And so we're gonna, be, we're gonna be asking a lot of those questions during the budget process to DPH because of the isolation, because of COVID, because of distance learning, and because of the impacts that you all know about, and I'm sure you've talked about the Youth Commission about not being in school, in the school setting around peers for the last couple of years, it's impacted to the overall feeling of isolation, depression, and other issues. So it is going to be a big priority for us uh, during this budget process. All, all of us have spoken about that independently and on the record, and so I just wanted to highlight that for you all. Um, and, then, and then lastly, my, my last comment was about the um, safety in schools, because that, that was related to that because it's played out in terms of people 
not having outlets for directions for their mental health. Um, but I was not aware that all the schools, because we're not Board of Education members except former Board of Education member Walton, I didn't know that all the schools didn't have um, intercom systems and a way to communicate with students throughout the entire, uh, the entire building, which is, seems pretty dangerous to me. Um, so it's something that we certainly can look at and talk about um, with Board of Education members and their, and their district and see do they even have a cost estimate? What is it it would take to actually implement that? Is there an overall strategy and plan? And so the head of facilities and operations used to be with our recreation and park department. Uh, so we can, we can talk to her and, and try to find out more information. But I appreciate you bringing that to our attention because I know that there's been a lot of concern, particularly over the last week, but it's been a concern for a lot of us for a time that, that are more in touch with our schools and families that, that safety and safety issues have really risen to the top. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are concerned about that. So, yeah, G wonderful, wonderful presentations. And I mean, there's so much more I could comment on every slide, but I, I really, really thank you all. Um, if you have any questions for us uh, or follow up, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you so much for your feedback. Did you want to add something? Uh, only to say that we'll certainly be following up with your office on school safety. This is a conversation that we are going to be having with every supervisor's office during this budget cycle and just going forward as well. This is a serious issue of concern for us on the Youth Commission. Um, I also want to say that myself and Commissioner Utting have been looking into it and recently um, had the Youth Commission call a hearing on the matter. Mm. So um, we'll certainly be following up and working on that going forward. And, and I just wanted to say, if I didn't comment on your particular issue or slides, don't take it as I didn't see it as a priority or that it w I wasn't impressed because the issues with trans, the issue with juvenile hall closure, the issues with violence, the issues with all of these issues are near and dear to all of our hearts. So I don't want anyone to think that if you presented and I didn't comment on it, it wasn't specifically because I didn't have something to say. I, I, I have, I've taken notes on every single one of the areas that you talked about today. It's okay. We definitely feel loved here. So we'll definitely be following up with your office. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Thank you, Chair Wynn, and thank you, Commissioners, for your um, presence today and in your presentation uh, in this chamber. As always, uh, as Chair Wynn has mentioned, that truly that the Board of Supervisors and our U Commission has a longstanding partnership. Uh, I am so grateful and uh, to have the privilege to sponsor this hearing today uh, so that we can discuss your budget priorities. Um, I want to say that there's a lot of synergy between uh, this body, uh, the, the members of the Board of Supervisors, and my colleagues, their budget priorities as articulated uh, in our conversation um, and uh, with, you know, as their budget chair. So I appreciate uh, having your budget priorities and seeing that actually there's a lot of overlapping uh, priorities uh, between the two bodies. And we look forward to continuing working with you. Uh, with that said, we're going to turn this to public comments today uh, because we have now only the three member of this body left. I'm going to limit public comments to one minute today um, so that we make sure that we have quorum uh, or stay with quorum uh, but before i go to public comments supervisor safai i just i just wanted to also add i mean we definitely do public comment but if there was anything in particular besides the presentation that any of the youth wanted to ask us while we're here i know they don't usually get that opportunity so happy to answer any questions if you had any 
But you can think about that during public comment. That's right. We'll, we'll come back after public comments. We'll, we'll turn back to you and have that conversation. And Mr. Clark, please, public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this hearing, identifying the Youth Commission's budget priorities in the upcoming fiscal years and are joining us in person should line up now uh, right along those curtains. And for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2498-2024187, then pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you haven't unmuted, and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, um, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Great. Seeing no public comment, now public comment is closed. Um, Chair Wen, uh, I we are grateful for your presentation today. Uh, I think that we have a lot of thoughts about, or I have a lot of thoughts, and then I think that so are my colleagues. Um, we look forward to um, conversation that uh, that we may have in the coming months. Uh, I would strongly advise you to also have conversation and approach to all my colleagues on the board and provide them a briefing if you mm -hmm. haven't already about the budget priorities recommended by the U Commission. Uh, I think that uh, our board members will be eager if they haven't already to hear from you directly uh, to walk them through the presentation that you have given us today. Uh, I personally will also want to follow up separately to talk about as we approach the mayor's uh, budget as she which she's uh, anticipated to propose on June 1st. We'd love then to follow up to see, you know, if you actually also have those conversations with the mayor herself mm -hmm. and her team to articulate your priorities, whether these will be part of her agenda as well and her proposal when she declare her proposed budget proposal on June 1st. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly hope that you'll get some feedback from her team as well before that time. Uh, those are my recommendations to you. Uh, so with that, um, I am going to... I have a question Yes, for absolutely. you guys. Um, just because you're all here. But obviously, like as the elected officials of the city, you guys have a lot of policy priorities. You have a lot of people wanting to talk to you. So I was just wondering, like, um, as, the, as the representatives of the youth in San Francisco, how can we ensure that these recommendations stay at the top of your priority list? And how can we continue communicating with your offices so that we see the implementation of these recommendations? Oh, I, I think that the hearing is part of this conversation. And mm -hmm. as I said, make sure you follow up beyond this body, beyond this committee, and also other members of the board of supervisors to actually brief them, set up the meeting, and brief them your priorities. And of course, also the, the mayor herself as well, um, and her team. And with that, and we will continue to have these communications. I would also urge you to know, continue to track both the budget and finance and the budget and appropriation committee's hearing. Um, they're scheduled for typically at 10 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. I would urge you to, you know, when you're, goodness, I mean, your schedules are packed, but whenever you can to actually track those hearings. Uh, of course, we're gonna continue to have communications with staff uh, so that they're aware of our uh, hearing schedule. And of course, I think when June comes, please do track the mayor's budget proposal and that we continue to give us your feedback on that proposal as well. And I would also urge you to also call in for public comments or attend public comments whenever you can. And so that this way we are tracking you're holding us accountable and we're hearing from you directly as well. Great, thank you so much. 
Thank you. And with that said, I'm going to make the motion to file this hearing, colleagues, if that's okay. And um, so, Mr. Uh, Clerk, please call the roll. Uh, I will need a second, Chair Chan. Died in committee. Second, just kidding. <laughs> second by Supervisor Safai. On that motion by Chair Chan, seconded by Member Safai, that this hearing be heard and filed. Member Mendelman. Mendelman, absent. Sorry. Member Safai. Safi, aye. Member Ronan. Ronan, absent. Member Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes. With the Vice Chair uh, Mendelman and Member Ronan, absent. Thank you. The motion passes. And uh, do we have any other business before us today? Aye, Madam Chair. That concludes our business. Thank you. The meeting is adjourned.